it was way easier to break into the practice building than it was into the dorms. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the bottle cap everyone would put so it wouldn't close after the last custodian left. I am going to New York next week, so that's going to be fun. That's right. I, I told you in our text. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of like vacation, vacation gift to myself. I'm just going to, yeah, go out there. It's been way too long. Just kind of hop around, have really nothing planned. Except, you know, October is a beautiful month on the East Coast. So other than that, really just maybe popping into some concerts, trashing on Juilliard and like, you know, <laughs> going hanging out in Manhattan School of Music, you know. Nice. Pull, pull. That's the full New York experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, you should do one of those vlogs or whatever that people do where they where they go to a, you know, New York Philharmonic concert and they check out what the what the program is and, and if there's any sort of event beforehand and talk about the concert mm. and, you know. Well, they're reopening the concert hall, I think, this week. Like, it's um, because they renamed it. I don't think it's Avery Fisher Hall anymore. Because mm. um, they were, like, renovating the whole interior. Because of all of, like, America's premier orchestras, the New York Phil had, like, the worst concert hall. It looked, <laughs> it looked like garbage. Which is a shame, because, like, it's right across the street from the Met, or right across the plaza from the Met, which is beautiful and gorgeous in the Metropolitan Opera. Then also, um, New York City Ballet, they perform at, was it Coke Hall, I think? I think named after the Coke Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not sure how I feel about that, which means I feel negatively about. It. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man. I'm all for selling out, but just not, not, not to them. Come on, like, might as well call it Trump Hall. Hey, man. I mean, if the if the industry gets gets any uh, more hard pressed, I wouldn't be surprised if at least one orchestra starts playing in Trump Hall soon. <laughs> the Tallahassee yeah. Philharmonic has got to have somewhere to play. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The Panhandle Philharmonic, yeah. Yes. Um, Avery Fisher Hall, where the New York Phil used to play, it's probably the worst concert hall in New York. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they like redid it, and I don't know, man. I, I don't like what they did. It looks it looks like garbage on the inside. Really? They I went the um, they went the LA Phil route and went like really crazy with the patterns on the seats on the seat cushions. I, I think it looks like a Microsoft Paint Hall. I <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Maybe I'll see it for myself though, and know in person. Are you know. going to? Are you planning on going to any sort of smaller concerts like chamber music or just individual performers recitals? Dude, I'm hitting up the jazz scene, man. Nice, That's, dude. I will say, like, one of the cool things about like TikTok and stuff is that there are like some folks who would have been previously undiscovered people making it big on the New York City jazz scene, which is you know the jazz scene, right? Yeah. And they were just completely discovered on TikTok. You know, they just got like millions of like likes on a on a video or something, and just have thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah, one of them, her name is Stella Catherine Cole. She is an amazing jazz vocalist. She is so great and funny. And yeah, she went from like TikTok, just hanging out on TikTok, singing jazz standards, and now she's playing. She, she's performing at like the big clubs in. New York, from Birdland to the Village Vanguard to you know all the major places. That's pretty cool. It's interesting what TikTok and and I mean to a lesser degree Instagram. At least nowadays, you know, it seems like Instagram has already become kind of passe. Dude, Instagram is like blowing itself up to be more like TikTok. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems like a lot of a lot of um, media things are yeah, right. True. Yeah. yeah, like even yeah. YouTube with their is it reels or shorts? Which shorts. One, which one are shorts. They? I forgot to pack my shorts. But <laughs> I found them on YouTube. I just call it YouTube TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly TikTok is is the app to be in terms of media. But yeah, I, I'm not like the person to talk to about this, but it seems like it has m- had more impact in jazz and sort of other non-classical, more like popular forms, just because I think those are more directly correlated with sort of audience size to success. Yeah. Whereas with classical music, there's still a bit of gatekeeping, for lack of a better word. Yeah, It's not that it's totally useless, right? I mean, there's still people who... Right, right who can leverage their sort of enormous followings online to good effect in classical music. But yeah, it, it is interesting to see the sort of disparate impact of social media on different sort of art forms. Yeah, totally. And I think it's the same reason like the composing scene isn't that big on TikTok, right? There's no film <laughs> composers that are making it big on TikTok. Well, um, also composing isn't a form that particularly lends itself to, you know, 30 second sound bites, I guess. Yeah, but it's also a gatekeeper. Realm yes, yeah, of music, yeah. right? Right. Sure. It's very the it's a gatekeeper, and only a few people really have the keys. <laughs> Where jazz, you know, and not just jazz, I, you know, the rock and roll scene too was always like this. It's more clubby, not clubby in a bad way, no clubby in like a more impromptu way. And the way you make it big is, 
you performed this one night, this one jazz club and people heard you and really liked you and you just like killed it that night. And then everyone in town knows your name, right? Yeah, that's like how the jazz scene like always kind of was. And that just lends itself nice to the TikTok medium. But yeah, so no, the, I'll be the first to say like, I, I do think TikTok is like a net negative for society. I, you know, I, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. Dude, like I look at younger cousins of mine and people like their attention spans and I find myself when I'm on TikTok my attention span gets so minutely small I'm just like scrolling if I see something if I don't like it within two seconds I scroll right <laughs> like it's, yeah it's kind of ridiculous I'm not one of those people that's on TikTok a lot and stuff but every time I am on it I'm on it just for pretty much the jazz sort of stuff and um it's done some good there I think yeah I think it really has I, I've seen some stuff about TikTok and the way that it's affecting the monetization of the music industry that's mm. that's pretty worrying but i'll refrain from commenting too much on it because i i just don't know enough and i haven't really looked into it yet maybe that could be like a future topic are you talking about the creators fund have you heard of that that might be what they were talking about yeah there's it was, did it, was it something that came out recently yeah this was maybe a month or two ago and tiktok kind of announced that to like pay creators or something they are they're going to allocate this giant pool of money just to pay creators. I forget, it was like a, a ton of money, like tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars oh. that would go straight to creators. But there's a little bit of a problem where basically the way YouTube does it is actually, you know, we have our problems with YouTube, but the way they do it, it's actually kind of nice and like really transparent, which is like all the ad, rev all the ad revenue they make, 52% of that goes to creators and 48% YouTube keeps. And that's just like across the board, right? So with this creators fund though, you're almost like directly competing against all your fellow TikTokers if you're a creator on TikTok, right? Mm. Like it is a it is a zero sum game, right? Where for you to win, someone else has to lose. And yeah, yeah, I've I have problems with that. I'm not alone in thinking this. I think <laughs> there's some people that have been very vocal about this and things. And and of course, dude, what's weird about TikTok, right, is when you look at YouTube, you know, their parent company's Alphabet. We know who their CEO is, right? You know, Instagram, part of Facebook, part of Meta. We, we know who their CEO is. Do you know who the CEO of TikTok is? Yeah, that's right. No one knows, really. It's some it's some Chinese bureaucrat. Basically, yeah, it's not disclosed and they don't have to, right? Um, yeah. And that, like ByteDance is like one of the developers that actually does the like development of like the actual making the app and stuff, maintaining the app. They're like one of the main developers of TikTok. That's kind of what we know. And like some of their like execs have been interviewed some places, but but by and large, TikTok is a giant black box. It's definitely <laughs> worrying on a, on a lot of different fronts. And I think the attention span is also something that's really worrying. And, and people will, you know, whenever you bring this up, um, a common uh, rebuttal is, is, you know, how famously when when the printing press was invented, right, people were complaining right. about, you know, the loss of memory that comes from books and being able to mm -hmm. print and read things and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I do think that TikTok and in general, like a lot of things associated with, with the sort of scaling and network effects that the internet allows, um, it kind of weaponizes these kinds of problems in a way that is different from like previous more, let's say, analog inventions, right? Hmm. So hmm. like the, the the scale at which the problem is happening and the speed at which it's like iterating is is what is where the problem comes and and yeah I do think it's it's a bit worrying and I don't know I mean it's it's a it's a tough one because on the other hand I don't think there's ever been a time where musicians and artists and you know people like that have been more in control of their of their own destinies and their own content I, yeah. I guess is the word yeah yeah so you know. Dude, it's nice. It's a platform that allows anyone, right, to reach an audience, be it one person or, you know, one million people, right? And at the end of the day, that's like what makes the internet beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in the back of my head, I'm always like, uh, I don't know about this whole TikTok thing. But like anyone can just do what I think. Like kids love it and, yeah. <laughs> and advertisers adore it. So the thing that's keeping me off of it is that I, I just don't really understand it. Like I barely get Instagram. And actually, like, I, I went off of Instagram for about maybe a month or two recently. Mm -hmm. And I went back, I logged back in, and I, like, you know, there's so many updates that happened to the app in that month or two that I, like, could barely use it. And um, it's kind of kept me off the app, which is kind of nice. But um, Wait, 
Have you ever been on TikTok? No, I've I've, I've been I've okay. been on other people's TikToks. Yeah, you know, but I, I've never I, like I kind of want you. TikTok. I don't know if we should do this now, but I kind of want you to like create a TikTok. I just want to watch you in your face as you're like on the app for the first time yourself. It's yeah, it's can, a lot. We, it's like landing in Vegas for the first time. It's just like sensory overload. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, I see I see like a lot of you know I get like a I get like TikTok yeah. light. Because TikTok is so, it's so crazy viral, like TikTok videos. I'm probably talking about this like a fucking boomer, but you're saying you, know, you see you see the watermark. Even I see elsewhere. the watermark everywhere, like on Twitter and on Instagram. Like, yeah. it, there's nothing that's just a regular yeah. video now. If there's a video on the internet, it's from TikTok that I'm seeing on Twitter. It's, it's right, right. Bonkers how how viral things go there. And yeah, it it, it is crazy. Yeah, it yeah. is nuts. And, you know, yeah. I mean, like, was, like you said, no one cares what, what we think and the kids love it. And so do the advertisers. So that's fine. But um, yeah, yeah. For, I don't understand what kids' brains must look like. Because for me, like <laughs> the even even Twitter and Instagram, you know, get get really tiresome because you just stop having time with your own brain. Right. I think that's a really important yeah. thing for hmm. everyone to have if they're going to be interesting and original in any way, which I think yeah. is a valuable thing to be. Um, I think sure, you need sure. time to just be bored quite frankly you need time to sit with your own brain and your own thoughts and tiktok from what i've seen on other people's screens just does not give you that and it's crazy too just how quick tiktok became the thing and like yeah and i do wonder if like it kind of timed it worked out well with like the timing of the pandemic boy there's a chinese conspiracy if you've ever heard one <laughs> 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 uh, that's good um, <laughs> It, it, it is kind of crazy. I remember like rehearsals kind of before um, before COVID, like before March 2020, like that month before someone in this trumpet section was telling, were showing me like, yeah, like this TikTok thing. And like, they're trying to explain it to me. It's like, oh yeah, it's basically just like a giant collection of memes. I'm like, okay, interesting. And then, I mean, dude, before you know it, I mean, that was not that long ago. What, it's 2022, right? So it's like, that was two and a half years ago or so. Dude, it's like the biggest thing ever. <laughs> Like the astronomical rise of it has just been nuts. Advertisers love TikTok too, right? Because you can get so specific and also like it's targeting. Because think about it, like how many data points TikTok has. Like for YouTube to get really any like meaningful data about you, like, you know, let's just pick a number. Like the average YouTube video is say like four minutes long or something. You know, that's four minutes of you watching something and maybe not watching something after it or clicking something else after it or, you know, leaving it halfway through. TikTok, you know, think of how many videos you can just scroll through. And if you, you know, wait for more than a second and a half on one of them, like that's a, that's a data point right there, right? That's, hmm. they just get in one minute on TikTok, they have so many more data points on you than YouTube has of you spending one minute on YouTube. So like it can just get hyper specific very quickly and very easily in their um, targeting and ads and stuff. So because of that, yeah, dude, everyone's fighting to advertise on on tiktok it's 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 insane it's insane yeah that's that's really interesting i don't know man i mean i i'm always a little bit hesitant to say things like it's it's a net negative for society but i'm (laughs) i'm 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 inclined to agree with you but i'll be much more certain in saying that it's it's certainly like a net negative for general productivity and creativity i would say (laughs) but i think if you want to use tiktok for entertainment and it's just replacing the place that tv would have been for you 10 years ago that's you know it's hard for me to argue one way or another what what really is the sort of net negative or positive of that um and if you want to use tiktok to sort of build an audience that you can then leverage for your own career that's great i mean more power to you but i certainly think that if you really want to come up with something interesting and original and and have you know interesting thoughts and ideas and, and you know produce interesting stuff i think probably minimizing time on on tiktok and for that matter instagram and twitter too it's probably for the best you know yeah but um okay yeah anyways um so back to new york yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i'll wing it you know dude i'm a fan man of like unless you're going somewhere like super exotic like cairo or something (laughs) um i'm a fan of like no plans a great plan sometimes like i'll go there and see what's up you know i I totally agree i think especially in a place like new york where the beauty of the city is the serendipity that it, that it offers you. Yeah. Right. Is the city, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. So walk like around, city. see what yeah. happens. Yeah, totally. Anyways, that's what's going on with me. That's what's going on with me. So any updates in your life? The only, the only thing of, of note is that I got a broke flute teacher and I haven't had a first lesson mm-hmm. yet, so I'll have to, um, 
I'll have to update you more once I once I do that. But I'll be going down to yeah, man, Bloomington, the old stomping grounds for that. No, exciting, dude, exciting. I know it's been on your list for a while because you have you have your Brook flute now, and yeah, any repertoire you're dying to play. What I'm really excited about is to find all of the obscure and brilliant Baroque composers that that just don't are, that just aren't played outside of the early music world, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I can't wait to sort of dive into that repertoire. Even even already, I mean, she asked me what I was working on, and, and I told her, you know, some some Talmon, some some Ototer, and stuff like that. And then she sent me this piece by um, an obscure Dutch composer whose name was Willem de Fesch. And she said, okay, learn yeah. this. And I looked him up. His his compositions are totally beautiful. And he has some stuff on IMSLP, but it seems like there's there's a whole world of repertoire where you really have to go digging in the archives of, of libraries to go find. Yeah. And uh, I'm really excited to do that because that's kind of my... That's one of my favorite things to do, you know. We're still living in this post-COVID era, right? Like we have the COVID era, like the lockdown year, year and a half, right? From like March 2020 to let's call it summer 2021, right? Since then, there's there, we've had our variants and stuff. We had to like cancel stuff again and schedule stuff again, right? But when I started, you know, playing again, rehearsing again, performing again after the the year that was. I think people, and I think it was okay. Like people were a little rough around the edges. And I'm not talking about the quality of their playing. Weirdly, people sounded amazing. <laughs> Just like a year and a half to nothing to do but practice. Yeah, so people sounded great. I, I haven't sounded better since the end of the pandemic. Yeah, same, same, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I will say like when rehearsals were starting again, there were, you know, some hiccups, let's say, and, you know, protocols, just rehearsals, the way they're being run, how we conduct ourselves during a rehearsal. But I think me along with a lot of people are like, all right, we're happy to be rehearsing again. We haven't done this in a while. It's still like a weird world with weird mass requirements and stuff. So I think everyone was giving everyone a pass, rightfully so, for a bit. It's been a while since that, though. It's been like a year since you know, the grand reopening and rehearsing again. And I thought we'd be better than this now. But <laughs> there are still some people that just don't get it, that don't get like how we do rehearsals and like what the unwritten rules are that we all nailed or maybe for the most part nailed pre-covid now they i just see like i see this stuff happening and i'm like wow who who are you you know like what's going on so so you know what i've come with the answers shooter <laughs> i can't wait to present to you chris's seven rules of rehearsal and i'm hoping you agree with these if you do agree with them then we might be able to stamp it impolite to listens you know itl's rules of rehearsal and these are all things I've like seen like in the past few weeks, right? The past week even. It's just like mind-boggling. But I think, you know, if we just like get this out there, we're not talking about it. I think that's the first issue. Let's chat. Let's see where we stand. And hopefully we can make every rehearsal a little bit better going forward. Are you down? Let's do it, man. All right. Rule number one, don't be late. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good one. You would think this goes without saying, actually. But for like a paid gig or rehearsal don't be late like a wise person once told me there's really no such thing as being on time either you're early or you're late hmm. right and of course i'm early to everything and to this town san francisco i swear like the only people who are on time here are the musicians like <laughs> well of course man i mean like laid back california is like even meeting yeah. with friends at like a bar or something it's like i'm there right when we said we meet and I'm like it's just well, the way it is you're actually like, there at call time for you know if you're, if you're getting drinks at six you're actually there at 5 40 that's right you know, that's right you're doing that's a sound right. check yeah curtains <laughs> at six yeah yeah no i mean and even like in our rehearsal like what do you call it sheet like our you know invitation plan right it says like downbeat at 7 30 or so or eight or something like that pretty clear but there's always people like I don't know. I will say it's more often in the strings because they just don't have to warm up. I don't think as much as brass players do. Um, so, like, brass players usually get there, like, fairly early. But you'd be surprised, right? Um, yeah, we get there because we need to, like, warm up ourselves, but, like, physically warm up our horns or else, you know, we're going to play pretty out of tune. 
Like, have, have you seen this? Like, I mean, you play in the recording sessions. I mean, everyone has to be there early for that, right? But it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being late is pretty much never accepted. I mean, everyone's late every once in a while. Yeah, everyone has some sort of extenuating circumstance um, that's, that's sure, outside sure. of their control. And if it's you know within the order of five minutes, ten minutes, I think most people are willing to forgive you if if you're not known as like the guy who's late. Yeah, don't be that guy. Yeah, don't be that guy, people. Yeah, and and, f- and for Christ's sake, if you are late, don't make a big deal of it. Just yeah, it's a it's another professional skill to be able to just sneak in. No one, yeah. no one except for like the person who's sitting next to you knows, right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Obviously, right, if exactly. you're like a if you're like a solo part or something, then then really, <laughs> really, really don't be late. But if you're yeah. like the piccolo player and you something happens outside of your control where you have to be five minutes late, just yeah. make as little noise as possible. Just shrivel into yourself into some sort of yep. you know wraith like figure and just you know. If people blink, they miss you, right? Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then you're there and you're yeah. playing. And they're like, oh, that's weird. I didn't, I didn't hear the piccolo play the last time we just... <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, yeah, and yeah. one of our rehearsal rooms, too, is actually like if the cello, if a cellist is late, it's actually like a <laughs> show because they have to walk through the brass section with their giant cello to get around. Oof. Yeah. So it's uh, like... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like don't be late, but then also everyone is, so deal with it well. That's the sub point, yeah. And exactly. and be you know, and then afterwards be like, be suitably apologetic and. Yeah, uh, right. Know. It's uh, the way you handle it too is is, yeah. is a big one. Don't like just start making excuses like oh or don't don't laugh it off. Yeah. Don't you don't you dare do that. Yeah, it's not funny, yeah. right? Right, right. <laughs> like oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, traffic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That should be an easy one. I, I think that was manageable. I think that was manageable. All right. Rule number two: Don't put a tuner on your stand. Ay, ay, ay. Or even for brass people, don't fucking put a tuner like on your bell, the one that clips on your bell. Oh, and, dude, people do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hyper accurate. It's measuring, you know, how quickly your bell is vibrating. So it's right. But but I've seen people do that in a rehearsal. And but the only one who's allowed to have a tuner on their stand is, um, I mean, if you're warming up, fine. I don't care, I guess. Sure. But like the the oboist, sure, maybe that they can have one for the tuning A, right? Okay, fine. But that's it. Don't don't leave a tuner on your stand and leave it on. That's crazy when people do that. It's it's maddening, and I I don't get. I mean, let's let's forget about how annoying it is for for yeah. everyone in their vicinity, right? But what is that even doing for people? It's not it's not going to help you tune better, right? It's it's, it's not even going to pick up your resonance very right. accurately. I mean, the yeah. the thing on the on the clip of the of your bell or whatever <laughs> that fine. At least that one that works, even if it's annoying. For like yeah. the people around you, but you know the people who have like their shitty tuner from fifth grade on yeah. their stand that barely picks anything up when they're in their practice room, and right. now it's not doing anything on their stand except for just going haywire with lights flashing everywhere and the needle just freaking out having yeah. a seizure. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, and so like, what's the worst too is when let's say you have to tune a chord or something, which we do in the brass section a lot, like any big chorallic thing and we're trying to you know find we're trying to get the chord in tune and then one guy's like he's staring at his tuner he's like well i'm in tune you know yeah. right like <laughs> no that's not how it works that's not that's not at all how it works and you know uh, we don't need to get into how you know when you tune a chord all of a sudden when you have a harmony going on you now have to you no longer play an equal temperament tuning so tuner is not as helpful anymore exactly yeah. and it, it's don't be that you guy. know it's obliquely related to to how Look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sort of trashing people with, with perfect pitch or anything like that. That's that's perfectly fine mm. and it's super useful and, and great. But I've had a, I've had a fair few bad experiences playing with people um, who are, let's say, bullish about the fact that they have perfect pitch. Okay. Yeah. Um, because they, similar to someone with a tuner who's who's looking at it and saying, "Well, I'm in tune," they will say, "Well, I'm in tune. I have perfect pitch." And that's not how intonation works, right? Intonation yeah. is is how in tune you are with everyone else, and it doesn't matter if you are playing the thing, you know. If you're playing your A440 perfectly dead center, that's fine. If everyone else is playing at 442 or something, and they're all in tune with each other, you're the odd one out, and yeah. um, you need to just listen. And yeah, and that's even before we get into just temperament, even temperament, tuning, whatever, yeah. blah, blah, blah. That's a whole technical thing that we don't need to do on this podcast. Right. But right, right. playing in an orchestra is, is just different. And 
um, if you're not flexible and if you're not sort of willing to be flexible, then then that's just it's it's a it's a disaster and and it's 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 a pain to play with and it, it makes you like not not a fun colleague. Yeah, and like that's the thing. Like in the audience, no one's saying, "Oh, that player is out of tune." No, they're saying that group is out of tune. That orchestra right. is out of tune. Yeah. Right. Yeah, in my experience, actually, people are really. It's, this is actually a fun experiment for you to try and for any listeners to try. Um, find hmm. either a place in a recording or some live performance where people play it out of tune, and and ask someone who's playing out of tune. Ask multiple people who's playing out of tune, and you'll get a different answer each time. And and actually, if you really listen and re-listen and listen to what note each person's playing and what chord what, what chord it is, you'll find that people are rarely right. Hmm. And and a great example of this, I, I'm particularly sensitive sensitive to this as a as a someone who, who sometimes plays piccolo, a lot of people will, will think right away that the piccolo is out of tune because that's um, there, there's something about the, the physics of where the piccolo lies on the, on the frequency where the piccolo sounds like it's the most out of tune in any chord. And, and you know, some, it's a pretty out of tune instrument, so, so, so a lot of times that's true. <laughs> but a lot of times it's not, actually. I mean, it's really hard yeah. to actually pinpoint where the location of the you know, outtonation is coming from. And um, yeah, your ears yeah. deceive you, right? Like, there, yeah. there are just as many aural illusions as there are um, optical illusions. And right. it's, it's really hard to, to know, actually, who's out of tune. And, and most people don't perceive it, so. Yeah, and the tuner is not going to help you. That's <laughs> Yeah, the, the tuner is utterly useless on that, in that sense. Um, yeah. In fact, I, d- I don't even use a tuner when I'm, when I'm practicing, really. I mean, if I, use, I use drones all the time. Sure. I, have, yeah. I, have, to- I have drones yes. that, that yes. do um, <laughs> absolutely. I have, I have drones for you know I have, I have just simple tones and I have chords and there I have them in just temperament and equal temperament. I most of the time that I'm practicing, I'm practicing with drones actually, especially on my baroque flute nowadays. Yeah, I was gonna say baroque time. Um, yeah, that's... but that's a different thing entirely because there you're actually practicing playing in tune with the context yeah. of of chords and and tones and all that stuff. Yeah. And but the actual tuner where you know there's like. A, a light for sharp and a light for flat and a needle that <laughs> yeah, goes right. in between. That's that's basically useless. Yeah. And I, I haven't used one of those in in a long time. I wanted to go find mine actually, and it's yeah, it's in that pocket of my trumpet case that I never touch, <laughs> and it's, it was in there, and there's no battery in it. So yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, well, that's all all I need to know about that. Yeah, um, and I, I will say one more thing. Yeah, with, with the prevalence now of the fact that people really barely um, ever use. Uh, bespoke tuners now like bespoke like a, a tuner like most people just have tuner apps right yeah right, on their phone right. so now people just have their phones on their stands <laughs> and then it's a whole other thing i don't know if this is going to be one of your next rules but oh. i mean please do Bad not one. disturb yeah. or airplane mode preferably <laughs> i don't want to see like you know just out of, on my periphery like a little you know notification sliding down every time because they have their tuner up yeah. you know yeah oh, man no that's, no true. That's a, that was a rough one sorry i like went went a bit yeah. haywire on that no, you're good. No, <laughs> these seven like rules of rehearsal are supposed to like push the buttons, you know. Yeah. Okay, number three. <laughs> okay, this is okay to quote you. <laughs> no. no, I always love what you said <laughs> when we were like first becoming friends, getting to know each other. But you said, "Yeah, I don't have pet peeves. I just have things that piss me the fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> and this is so number three. This is the one that like pisses me off the most on this list. And I just wish if I could like tell everyone, if I if there was one of these that everyone I would ever have to rehearse with again would actually listen to and follow, it'd be this one. All right. So rule number three: don't ask the conductor questions. <laughs> 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 just don't. Don't. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Maestro. Um, so that pickup. Um, do you want that pickup note in the new tempo, or do you want it in the previous tempo? No, no. You're an artist too. No. Play it how you think it should go. The conductor will tell you if they want if they want it played differently. That's how it works. Thank that's you. how it works. Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's a that's actually a really good one, and that's a that's something that really pisses me off too. I mean. It's like people have just forgotten. They've just become codependent on on the conductor or something. Yeah. You know, just play it. I mean, chances are you're probably going to be right. I mean, if you if you've gotten to the point where you're rehearsing um, at a level where these kinds of things matter, then your musical instincts are probably good enough that yeah, just go with it. And if if it's not, then they'll tell you. And if it is, yeah. then it's fine. But the the thing yeah. is, look, when you're in rehearsal, what you don't want to do is piss off your fellow musicians. Right. Yeah. Right, and th- right, this right. is like a this is a great way to do that. Because um, look, this is we're we're all at work. We just want to show up and we want to play and we want to get the fuck out, right? And we want it to be as yeah. smooth as possible. And and yeah. and um, you know, 
and endless questions about minutia that that you really should just be able to figure out and yeah and play i they just it slows everything down and and um it makes it so that you know if we are going to end on time that um <laughs> the things that do need to get done don't get done and if there isn't yeah. like a union rep there so it's sort of tapping to watch um yeah as there is for us here so that's fine but right right um then you'll go late and that's if you if you are the cause of a rehearsal going late forget about it right like the musicians will hate you I mean, especially yeah. don't even ask the conductor questions. won't like yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 even the conductor yeah um yeah don't ask questions but especially don't ask questions like two minutes before it's over unless yeah. it's really unless it's like a really pressing question and if it is then unless you're like the concert master or a principal a principal yeah. chair with yeah. like a, an important solo part or something like that then you probably don't need to ask the conductor a question most of the times you can you can um there's like a triage system right like yeah. Um, often I'll I'll consult with the principal flute, and then they'll principal consult player, with the yeah. yeah with the with the other principal like oboes and clarinets, and then if anything, mm. they'll throw it up to the concertmaster or something like that. And yeah, you know, th- there's like a two tiered system happening here, where the conductor yeah. is figuring something out that's actually important with one group, and then anyone else that has questions, we're figuring it out quietly amongst ourselves, and it doesn't take up any yeah. extra rehearsal time, right? Yeah, just fit into that system, and and don't don't do the uh, don't do the you know, Maestro, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's, a, it's a disaster, yeah. man. <laughs> so I will say the one exception maybe is like the concertmaster from time to time. Sure, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, but they're, they're like the lead. But that's how it works, yeah. yeah. And also, you know what it is, too. Like, often, like, you're trying to impress people. The same reason anyone raises their hand in, in school back in the days, right? Was, you know. Um, <laughs> same people. Yeah, just, and so, yeah. Play it how you think it should go, you know. They'll let you know if they want, the conductor will let you know if they want it differently. Chances are the conductor actually doesn't know how they want it to go, and they're counting on you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, a lot of these past few points have boiled down to use your ears, not your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Like a good example maybe is the opening of pictures at an exhibition by Muzorski, the orchestration by Ravel, that's the standard one. Um, yeah, the opening trumpet solo, and then you know, the brass come in and play it. You know, How should the rest of the brass section phrase that solo artistically the answer is however the trumpet player phrased it (laughs) yeah or however the principal player is phrasing it right there's there's a hierarchy there and right and like an artistic hierarchy orchestras there's a there's a hierarchy of i mean i, I want to say command but that's too sort of militaristic but it's it is kind of like a mm-hmm. a brigade mentality you know yeah it, the whole thing is set up such that different things can be happening simultaneously right mm-hmm. like if you listen to any professional orchestra rehearsal there's a lot going on um it's not quite like the british style um sort of has a common yeah it, it's not it's not necessarily you know chaos of Calm that yourself. order but <laughs> But no, no. But if you actually sit in on a on a professional orchestra rehearsal, you might be you might if you're like an outsider, you might think, "Wow, this seems kind of disorganized." But it's actually very organized, and it's it's yeah. set up to be that way, right? There are several side conversations happening. Like I said before, the conductor is often consulting with one group. The concertmaster is sort of trying to relay something back to the second violins. The principal winds are consulting with with each other. Maybe one of them is consulting with the concertmaster. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of strings that are that are going on. Um, I mean, obviously, when you're playing, it's all you, you're doing a similar thing with your ears. But even yeah. in the sort of in between time, yeah. there's a whole layer of command where it's set up so, such that the, the maximal amount of things can be done and yeah. and and figured out. That's amongst, why we rehearse. amongst yourself, yeah, yeah. within a couple yeah. of hours, right? We yeah. could never rehearse anything to completion if if everyone had if everyone asked every question up to the highest level of command right that doesn't make any sense you can think of it kind of like a, a corporate structure too i've never had like a real job but i imagine it's the same way right like you wouldn't like if you were like a if you were like a entry level developer or something you wouldn't ask the ceo you know what 
it, once you send in and like once you're part of like company all hands, you'll be shocked at some of the questions like interns ask the CEO. <laughs> like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe actually the level of professionalism in orchestras is much higher than tech companies. <laughs> Could very well be the case. Yeah. Yeah. But they're on I mean, time at least. Well, I don't know about yeah. that anymore. But yeah. But the point is, you, you don't like the the conductor is like the the level one triage guy, right? You don't you don't bring up every stupid mm-hmm. question you have to him. Yeah. Just shut up and just shut up. <laughs> just shut up. And if if someone tells you to do something, do it. And otherwise, just put your instrument together, play your best, shut the fuck up, and go home. <laughs> again, again, like I thought we had this, you know, like. <laughs> Maybe we were always this bad. And I just forget like the pre-COVID times, but it's like I thought I thought we we'd be better at this, you know. Okay, so moving along, point number four: don't conduct while counting rests. I will co-sign that to the to the end of the earth. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, yeah. So yeah, this is like when you're counting rests, you're like conducting with the conductor, and I guess to help you count and stay in time, but like. You just look like a schmuck. I don't know. And it's just, it's not like, it, it doesn't really affect anything, I guess, but. It's distracting to me. It's just, it's distracting, especially when they're like wrong, <laughs> they're like conducting the wrong. Which they're often, they're more often than not wrong, but. Um, you know, if you count rest, no, like, yeah, count on, on your fingers. Like, I find myself doing that. If it's like a, like a ton of rest, you know, it's like, and I don't trust myself to keep it on my head. I like, you know, I might system where I keep track of my fingers. Yeah. That's fine, you know. Or again, yeah. I mean, I think every section has something worked out where they have a subtle way to where um, a principal and a second can count rests and mark it with their fingers in a subtle way that no one will notice what yeah. they're doing. And yep. and then that becomes a secondary... A check. It's almost like a two-way yeah. authorization or whatever. Like, if, if both you and the principal... <laughs> Are, uh, yeah. are are in, are in a, line. A two-factor authentication? Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. <laughs> For, well, because, yeah. you know, if you, have, if you have to count 29 measures of rest and then, you know, your, your principal's at 27 and you're at 28, then yeah. you need to all of a sudden get to red alert mode, right? Yeah. And be like, no. okay, now I need to, like, We've all really been there. listen and, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, figure out when, when I'm going to come in. Um, yeah. Or if everything's going smoothly, then it's, it's perfect. Um, so yeah. everyone has that, and that's fine. But the actual, like, straight-up conducting... Man, that is distracting. Um, yeah, yeah. Just and, don't. And, and Just often, don't. I'll, like when I when I've been in rehearsals when people do that, I will that will mess up my counting because, yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'm my own. Like this is my internal narrative. Where I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, one, two, three, four. What a fucking idiot! Oh sh! Where were we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <You know>? That's right. <laughs> now I'm the fucking idiot, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people, you notice, like, the best part about this list, this, these rules for rehearsal, these are all things to, like, not do. <laughs> like, <laughs> this should be pretty, you know, easy. These are not things you have to do, you have to stress, you have to prepare. No, these are just things to stop doing. Yeah. Oh, you know? uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, point number five. I want to be sure we're clear about this one. We're clear with what I mean here, which is, don't start talking to your section members. So that means, you know, like as you were saying before, like collaboration sort of stuff is fine. Like, yeah, that's kind of expected in rehearsal. Get on the same page, artistic conversations, sort of stuff like that. But, you know, when, again, they're rehearsing like another section stuff. Yeah, did you catch the 49ers game last night? It's like, no, no. Especially when the conductor's talking. I've sat next to players when the conductor's talking and they, someone starts talking to you that sits right next to you and, and you're in the awkward, awkward situation because they're like a colleague of yours. You don't want to be like a dick and be like, dude, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to the conductor because he's telling us what bar we're going to start on. But we've all rehearsed with that person in the section who like talks a little too much. They usually don't yeah. get called back. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, this is, not a, this is not a social gathering. Yeah, yeah. That one should be pretty easy, but you know, we know the world, right? <laughs> um, all right, point number six. If someone in your section... Anyone in the orchestra, really. But if someone in your section makes a mistake, don't turn your head. <laughs> this is a big problem. I mean, I think string players do this more than others, more than wind players. Oh, when they look back at us? Yeah. Like... I don't know. I actually don't know why that is. Maybe I think when you're when you're a wind player in an orchestra, you're kind of always playing something like a solo part. Sure. Even sure. like in you know second flute or something, you're not having solos per se, but you're the only one in the orchestra playing your part. 
often you're going to make mistakes and it's going to be obvious because you're the only one playing and Mm -hmm. some string players maybe to give them charity don't recognize how awkward of a position it is to be in that in that situation all the time so Mm -hmm. i think when something funny happens they just their necks are are on a real swivel and yeah uh, yeah. like a, a lot of times i think people people turn to look not necessarily when a mistake happens, but when something happens that they weren't expecting. So it could be that they didn't know that a trumpet solo was going to happen, and then all of a sudden they hear a trumpet solo, and then they just think, "Oh, that's cool, what's happening?" And they turn around. But so, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's not necessarily like a judging kind of like, "Oh, what the, what was that that came out of that mm-hmm. horn?" You know, it was, "Oh, that was cool, yeah. what was that?" And then they just turn around. Don't do that either. It's distracting. Yeah. It's kind of just it puts us in a weird position. Um, it it puts anyone who's playing in a weird position. There's only one appropriate reaction to an individual's playing in an orchestra setting, and that is the thumbs up or the silent clap on your thigh, right? Yeah, to say right, right, or, or like the bravo. kick, right? There's like yeah, a- that's just like the sort of soundless kind of fist bump, just to say nice, just to sort of keep morale high, right? Yeah, but that, totally. that's it, yeah. Oh, yeah, all for that, all for that. Yeah. Yeah, now there's a funny story. Um, Roger Voisin, who is, um, who's one of the legendary trumpet players, like orchestral trumpet players of the 20th century and educators. He taught at the New England Conservatory for God knows how long, like his whole life it seemed like. He was, uh, uh, he eventually became the principal trumpet of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, but he started when he was seven, no, I think he was 16, started as third trumpet, actually. He got into the orchestra playing third trumpet, which is crazy, you know. His dad, I'm spacing out on his dad's name, his dad, was the principal trumpet player of the Boston Symphony at that time as well. And the story is, I heard this story from my high school teacher, Jay Rosetto, who studied with Roger Wazan for his undergrad. Um, Roger Wazan died maybe in the 90s or something. But but anyway, so, but one of his, you know, earlier rehearsals or when he was young, apparently, and yeah, he was, you know, 16 or 17 in in a rehearsal with the Boston Symphony and and one of the trombone players I, I forget the exact context it, it might have been um, Scheherazade actually like totally like cracked and messed up the big trombone solo and, and something one one of the big trombone solos in that piece and Roger was on just like turned his head right and just like to look at the trombone player right? <laughs> and anyway it's like all was fine because yeah it's like oh well what was that that mistake right you know and you know we're all kids at one point and anyway but his, his dad was playing principal right and uh during uh the rehe- rehearsal break his dad apparently walks behind him on the way to break and slaps him in the back of the head like with all of his power and says in french to him eyes forward <laughs> <laughs> that's old school and that's good that's old school yeah no i, I i'm 100 percent um, on board with that you know sometimes like noises can be startling or funny mm-hmm. especially mistakes like if it's a crack yeah. right. or a flub or something really in like a beautiful subtle moment the wrong kind of no- noise can be something that evokes in you kind of something like a startle response right mm-hmm. um, it can be hard not to look sometimes so I, I get it and and yeah. I think we've all been sort of inexperienced and, and, and I think we've all made these mistakes probably at some point mm-hmm. or another yeah, yeah. so it's true but um yeah i think part of being a professional is is to to just keep your eyes forward and, and know that like this is a professional setting and like you don't you're just you're careful about what other people's where you know what, where their headspace is as well like you have to be considerate about that you know yeah no absolutely absolutely rule number seven to bring us home make friends <laughs> <laughs> All right, you'd be surprised like how many people don't want to be friends with the people who play their instrument and even people from like the outside, which I guess people from the outside, the outside world, um, <laughs> all the plebeians out there that aren't <laughs> in classical music. No, um, yeah, they maybe I, I, I can understand where, where they're coming from when they say like, oh, really, you like want to be, you know, friends and colleagues and buddies with the with the other trumpet players who you're competing against for, you know, jobs and spots and, and, and things. And I would say, especially other trumpet players. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to be b- better friends with them th- than anyone else in the orchestra, frankly. Right. And sure, we're competing for, you know, auditions and gigs and things. But I will tell you, dude, I'm sure your case is similar. Probably 90%, let's just say something like that. 89, 89% of the gigs I've gotten have come from other trumpet players. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Oh, I can't make it. So the, you know, the personnel managers, all right, 
who's the guy? And, oh, try Chris. Here, here's his number. Let's see if he's free. You know? Yeah. That's how it works. That is how it works. You know? Um, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you get most of the gigs from people in your instrument because, like you said, they have gigs that you don't, and sometimes they pass it on to you. But also, if they're in a higher position than you in the mm-hmm. hierarchy, then, again, there's a sort of hierarchy of, of command where yeah. the conductor can't vet you. Right, right. The yeah. principal flute, say, has already been vetted. And so it's on them to vet you. And then yeah. they will just give the thumbs up to the conductor that you're someone who's worth, um, high, or to the personal manager or whoever, you know. Yeah, um, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, make people's lives easier, right? Like everyone, you know, the if you're a second player, like your main job is to make the first player's life easy, right? Yeah. Make them sound good. You'll get called back, man. You'll get called back. And like, yeah, that's, that's all you need. You, you just make their life easy. Don't be distracting in rehearsal. And then when you're outside mm-hmm. of rehearsal or during a break, just be friends. Yeah. Be normal, be chill. Don't be like a weirdo. Yeah. Um, yeah. If dude, they ask you I'm, for drinks or if they ask you to go for drinks or something, just say yes. Totally. I mean, yeah, look, it's exactly. I understand that there's some professions where people are like, you know, this is work time and these are work colleagues and they're not my friends and, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But music is not like that. It's it's really like a, I don't know, is incestuous the right word? It's a, it's a real weird. <laughs> it's a scene. Com- it's a scene. It's a real weird community. Yeah. It's not it's really like chefs, like, you know, or like, like chefs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like. And I think it's for a good reason. Like I play best with the people that I'm friends with because I know you play like you are in real life, right? Like my Mm -hmm. personality as a musician is pretty closely linked to my personality as a human being. And I think like the reason that we play together well, I'd like to think, Mm -hmm. was because we also click together generally. And I think um, you need to hang with people to to know that. I've rarely had like great musical interactions with people that I like don't click with or who who are really cold towards me or something, you know. And my trumpet teacher in college, Joey, I mean, I remember when he said, um, when you move to a new town and you want to get in the scene, like start getting the gigs, right? And like start playing and getting paid stuff. He said, do not, you know, he said he saw people do this all the time when he was, you know, uh, playing in Chicago and stuff. He said he saw he saw people come to town and they would reach out and like contact the personnel manager, like trumpet players would move to Chicago and they would contact the personnel manager oh can i get on your list you know can i get on your list and that is a great way to declare war against the trumpet players in town right because like who is this guy who's trying to go around us and like get our jobs right yeah and on the contrary what the way to do it is start hanging out and spending time around the people who are doing what you want to do right Exactly, and then that's how things happen, right? Then okay, this guy's cool. He's a solid player. Great, he's on our list, and our list is more important than, I mean, the personnel manager comes to our list first, and then yeah. if we don't have anyone, then they'll go off their list, and and yeah, you know, it's that's how it's done. But you see, people don't do it that. You'll see a number of people at least don't do it that way. No, that that's Perfect. actually great advice. There you have it. So anyway, thoughts on these seven rules? Yeah, I thought this would take us like 10 minutes, but I, th- I think we had some ideas to, to get through. I guess we did. No, I, I would I would put my seal of approval on, on all of them. I might add one if that's okay. This deserves to be said um, because I've just seen this blatantly violated from you know every stage from like college orchestras to professional ones. When you have time to warm up for the rehearsal or during breaks <laughs> and stuff, don't play anything except for what you're playing in the orchestra like your own part or if you must you know sometimes long tones or scales or something but even that chill oh boy I'll see people um, I'll see people doing everything from like their scale exercises to their etudes to like you know solo concerto repertoire that's like not even related to anything and or yeah, you yeah. know the real thing that you want to avoid is playing a solo part that's not yours God, uh, oh man I've seen I've oh seen it all God, and I've I... seen just, yes, this deserves to be on the list. Yeah. Pretty high up on the list. I've heard uh, Chicago Symphony stories of this where like some, someone was telling me they were playing in the orchestra and like a, a clarinetist who was like subbing for them for a bit and maybe like played in one of the other orchestras in Chicago. And yeah, he would just start playing like the excerpts, like the principal clarinetist part <laughs> for like the program. And like he would do it on stage, like when everyone's warming up before the performance. And he would just start playing it. And he, he apparently, they gave him like a pass I guess or something he like played for them for like a number of weeks and he would do it like at every rehearsal or and then every performance and eventually yeah my colleague in the orchestra was like he just thought to himself he goes yeah he just never figured it out did he and then he was <laughs> gone and never ever called back <laughs> so. yeah and that's usually how it works right like you get you get like a pass maybe two 
And then if you fix it, that's great. And if not, yeah. then you just don't get You're blacklisted. Back. You're yeah. redlisted. Like, yeah. you're, <laughs> you're worse than a communist spy, man. This is, this is as low as it gets. Yeah, and, yeah. and I will say, like, the, the worst is when you're playing, like, excerpts or solos from parts that are not yours, and especially yeah. if they're on the program, that's, like, the worst. <laughs> but even, even things that you think might be benign, like, um, if you think, oh, I'm just going to whiz through my scale exercises because I need to warm up my fingers, um, do that yeah. at home. Yeah, and, and <laughs> at warm least up backstage, with, maybe, or like, at least backstage. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. Okay, that's it just looks, for. It's too that's... much, right? It's too much yeah. going on, and it's too like showy. The thing you don't want to do is draw attention to yourself. Yeah, both from your colleagues or from the audience. If you're, I mean, people do even when they're warming up on stage, like you said, people do the craziest things. And yeah, this is a case where I have my own story where I was violating this rule. <laughs> I would think in a not terribly blatant way, but. It was the summer after my freshman year, and I was doing the IU Summer Festival, and I was playing um, principal flute in, in an orchestra um, conducted by Cliff Colnott, actually, who we that's talked right, about on, right. on the podcast. And I remember the summer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. we were doing Tchaikovsky Five, Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet, and some other things. I don't remember. Yeah. Heard of them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was some of the most fun I've had playing, playing in an orchestra. So basically what happened was I had to learn an etude that I really hadn't really learned yet for a lesson that was right after my rehearsal. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to rehearsal about 20 minutes early and was just woodshedding a little bit on the etude. <laughs> and uh, Cliff Colnott, who's such a great educator in, in everything from how to play in an orchestra to how to be like in an orchestra just in general, mm. he just quietly tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I know you're not intending anything by this and I, and I know that you're probably learning this for a lesson and that you're stressed and it's fine but just take a moment to think about how what you're doing right now might reflect on uh, your colleagues and whether that you whether you want that to be an accurate representation of yourself as a, as a principal player right now in this situation yeah i don't know oh, it just it, but it was a, it was a moment that, that stays yeah, with you right that it stays, stays with, with me and and yeah. I, I like i like that because it wasn't i think this may have been my very first rehearsal or my second one with him okay so he was he was very nice about it and uh you know we we were kind of like joking throughout all this stuff but yeah, i think yeah. i think you know these are things that you learn not to do in rehearsals mostly by having done them and having someone yeah. tell you don't do that uh, yeah everything on this list i have done yeah <laughs> like, yeah we, we've all been there man but but yeah you gotta you gotta learn sometime maybe all of a sudden like next rehearsal everything's like all buttoned up and like it's like oh damn i knew some people here listen but i guess <laughs> everyone does like, <laughs> uh, that's good yeah, yeah. We should release these as, you know, one rule at a time so that no one in any one rehearsal that we've been in thinks that it's all about them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.